0: i'm really excited to be here it's a chance for me also to kind of revisit some of the work that i have been uh, carrying out in multiple uh, roles uh, part of part of part of which is uh, from my phd thesis but other parts uh, as uh, tofi mentioned in the bio concern, you know, how uh, the hydropolitical baseline of river basins. So how, how are uh, wo- waters inside river basins managed between different riparian countries? Uh, what have been the shortcomings of those? Uh, and in my interest in the research, I look I look at the historical legacies of colonialism, uh, especially in the case of Palestine, but also throughout that uh, region of the Jordan and Yarmouk river basins. Um, so I will uh, I will focus on that in my research and in, in this presentation and the time I have, uh, I'll try to kind of highlight some of the main interesting uh, uh, characteristics, let's say, of uh, this legacy of colonialism uh, left by the uh, British colonial mandate. Um, firstly, uh, I want to start by speaking of transformation of Palestinian waterscapes orientalist environmental imaginaries in the in the middle east uh, and north africa uh, in general uh, they always frame uh, the middle east and north africa as a desolate and the, this, this uh, degraded environment historically and this historically justified various colonial aspirations to modernize to restore and improve the land the water and the people uh, to make it to make to make the people and the land uh, more productive more efficient and more modern Palestine, of course, has been no expe- except, exception. Uh, according to D- Diana Davis, uh, John B- Bush, uh racism as well was at the heart of those British water policy making in, in Palestine. So the idea that depictions of Palestinians or Arabs has always been backward in their agricultural and water management uh, techniques and, and expertise. They did lack knowledge, ingenu- ingenuity, and entrepreneurship to develop and become modern. The Jews and the Zionists on the other hand were seen as count as as sometimes sometimes even equal counterparts to development. Uh, And although they didn't of course see eye to eye uh, most of the time, but uh, but that was the case. Uh, Arabs therefore were mere beneficiaries of modernist projects uh, of water development in Palestine uh, and also sources of uh, cheap labor in some of those projects, but not all. But always it has been led by the British uh, colonial powers and Zionist uh, entities and actors. Um, So with that in mind, those modernist projects, especially in the water water development sector, uh, have facilitated a complete transformation in what what we describe in the geography as waterscapes. These are water landscapes that we'd like to study and and understand from a very political perspective, from a historical perspective, and from a societal perspective. To look at different changes and transformations that these water landscapes undergo. And what do these uh, changed and altered the waterscapes uh, actually change in terms of how we view, how we understand our water relations to water and land, uh, and also our identity and placemaking. Um, okay, so between between the late 1920s and the 1930s alone, um, according to John Broich, uh, there were over 200 water supply and reclamation projects. That transformed Palestine. Over 150,000 acres uh, were being drained or otherwise altered completely. Those, as I mentioned, were actually projects that were carried out by the British mandate or through concessions that were given to most to Zionist entities. And we'll speak of a few of them uh, uh, in a bit. But one of the one of the interesting aspects is that people were aware that these projects were altering not only those natural resources and making optimizing their use, but they were also changing, uh, you know, these landscapes uh, um, f- significantly for Palestinians. Uh, this uh, caricature that has uh, that was part of um, an Arabic newspaper called Palestine. Uh, on the 15th anniversary, uh, anniversary of the Balfour Declaration, highlights you know the impacts of such modernist projects in the water sector and what well, how they favor how the favoritism of, uh, of Zionist projects giving uh, concessions only to Zionist uh, entities and actors had uh, dire implications on Palestinians their belong their their access to resources uh, and their uh, their their um, perseverance on the land. At the heart of it was the Balfour Declaration, but we all know that was just the impetus and the start of uh, a very extensive uh, development uh, and modernist uh, project uh, that uh, happened pre-'48. In terms of water policy uh, development, The the earliest traces of water conflict in Palestine before 48 can be traced to the British colonial mandate period as well. There were multiple studies and reports that were uh, carried out to understand the, um, the limitation and the prospects of Jewish immigration to Palestine and its implication on economic development. Simpson report of 1930, which focused on immigration settlement and economic development, provided less optimistic estimates of Palestine cultivatable area and recommended legislation to be enacted to settle water rights, though although they were never never settled, especially for Palestinians. In different uh, documents uh, in the archive, we can we can see how um, British British were very supportive of Jewish immigrants of Jewish immigration and maintained a neutral position on issues relating to water rights for Arabs. The British White Paper of 1939 is another important document that mirrored the Simpson report and was concerned with how landless Arabs were to be provided with land, arguing that the the Jewish agency had already acquired enough land for Jewish settlement development. So clearly the British colonial policies uh, were were agitating fears and concerns, especially in the light of uh, continued Jewish immigration. and. Uh, the curtailment of agricultural livelihood practices of Arabs of Palestinians uh, who live uh, in in Palestine. So this this made water a, a project. Uh, this made water a topic of conflict and contention. Meanwhile, the Zionist investment by that by that time in the 1930s um, was so significant that any uh, Arab or Palestinian uh, development of water was insignificant. Uh, this, the concessions that the British has given uh, to the Zionist uh, entities, such as the hydropower production on the Yarmouk River, known as the Rutenberg, uh, the Pinchas-Rutenberg uh, hydropower plant, or the electrification of Jaffa, or the drainage of the Hula swamps. All of these were, were uh, drastically transforming these waterscapes and, and provide and with, with a very specific characteristics of favoritism uh, for Zionists. This is the Pinhas-Rutenberg and the, and the hydropower plant that was not was only operational until 1948 when it was bombed. Also water became a site of border making um, and this was significant. again, we go back in time to uh, to the 1920s and all of the negotiations that happened with Sykes picot about where should we set where where do the colonial forces uh, French and British colonial forces set, the boundaries and the borders and water water played a very important role. Uh, and eventually, the British actually had more access to uh, the tributaries of, of the upper Jordan and also to uh, the Hula, uh, Hula Lake and Lake Tiberias, which were very important and significant um, water bodies, where the Zionists also were pushing for these water bodies to be included in, uh, in the border of uh, or within the boundaries of Palestine. The UN partition plan later reiterated the significance uh, of water uh, and also uh, was characterized by a favoritism of Zionist and Israeli water imaginaries. Um, In in the Borders article of the UN partition plan, emphasis was given to the Jewish agency's uh, priorities regarding water for irrigation, which necessitated the inclusion of the uh, of Al Batuf Valley, which I will speak about uh, as a case study uh, in within the, the Jewish state borders. So it says, from this, uh, and I quote From the southwest corner of Kufr'anan village, the boundary line follows the western boundary of, the, of Tiberias sub district to a point close uh, to the villages of Mgar and Ailabun in the heart of the Galilee, thence bulging out to the west to include as much of the eastern part of the plain of Al battuf as is necessary for the reservoir proposed by the Jewish agency for the irrigation of lands to the south and east. So what we see evidently here is that Zionist water imaginaries and plan were therefore placed at a higher higher priority and a higher pedestal, even in the demarcation of borders uh, for the partition of Palestine. Um, And as, as a lot of water scholars have highlighted, this actually subordinated the rights of indigenous Palestinians and handicapped them from the beginning uh, by the dominant and hegemonic Zionist uh, water um, water sector and water imaginary. This bias of the mandate continued and helped further Zionist aims in uh, in Palestine as well. Another important aspect that the British have left the legacy of is the idea of a unified river basin. And basically, uh, without going into a lot of technicalities, it's basically I, the idea is that we can that the riparian countries so countries where a watershed exists, like the Jordan River Basin, can be and should be shared by those riparian states, and each will get an equal, somehow equal and uh, fair distribution of uh, of the water sources there. But this has actually since uh, since uh, the inception of such a framework of understanding water. It had made the, the Jordan River and other rivers, uh, I claim, as well, uh, under a curse of becoming a border. Um, later on, the British also pushed, uh, along with Americans, uh, as well, pushed for a hydraulic mission, which was happening all over the world, uh, with the colonial uh, and Eurocentric uh, understanding of water, that, uh, that water needs to be fully optimized. There needs to be large-scale infrastructure. We need to tame the natural, including uh, um, indigenous uh, population. And the the legacy of of the British colonial mandate here again is that it also was uh, implicated and it was until today, part of uh, policymaking in in those nation states to become nation states, including most specifically Jordan but also to to an extent Israel uh, and uh, the Palestinians I would claim as well. Uh, Let me just check the time. Okay. Okay, so I I come here to to the case study that I have uh, been working on on my PhD, and uh, that kind of really resonates with this idea of a unified river basin. Uh, Eventually, in the 1940s and in the 1950s, each each of those riparian countries, including Jordan, Syria and Israel, started developing their own own infrastructure to to, uh, claim territorial sovereignty over natural resources. And this happened, of course, with Israel through uh, military occupation and annexation of Arab lands and also expropriation of Arab waters. Uh, through the control of the upper tributaries of the Jordan by occupying uh, the, the, the Syrian Golan Heights uh, and Lebanon. It has also has, had full control over those uh, tributaries. So to, for us to understand the ramification of this, the British Mandate government on water policy, uh, I looked at how it affected the populations that live in the Galilee. So this is a different approach than we're usually taking uh, from an international relation or history perspective or a water law perspective. Uh, because usually the populations are not seen as active agents in opposing or changing and transforming the realities uh, that they were that were imposed on them. Um, so, so this is where it comes to th- this idea of uh, thirsty water carriers. So the idea is that uh, Israel uh, through uh, through its uh, water projects, Especially the National Water Carrier, which was the largest, the largest infrastructure project that the Israeli state has carried out just since its inception, which actually uh, consisted of uh, transporting large uh, sums and volumes of water from the upper tributaries of the River Jordan, uh, and putting, uh, saving them, storing them in Lake Tiberias, continuing uh, uh, with, through an assemblage of pipes and conduits and canals. Uh, to take them to where they're needed in the in the south for settlement expansion, making the desert bloom and settlement expansion in the naqab. Uh, What was interesting about it uh, that I want, want to share with you today is that this guy, I want to discuss a bit about the converging and diverging imaginaries of the Batuf as a site of uh, modernization and, and water modernization. Uh, if, if at first. Al Batuf. Uh, I'll, I'll explain a bit about it. Uh, Al Batuf is a rich and vast plain in the heart of the Galilee, um, and and uh, it is it uh, consists of around 50,000 50, uh, dunums, which today until today are are owned almost exclusively by Palestinians who live still live inside uh, in, in historic Palestine inside Israel. Um, al Batuf has a natural phenomena of al gharaq which main, mainly is a vast, uh, a vast flooding of around fifteen thousand dunums uh, that happens during the rainy season. Al gharaq for example, and in that sense, al gharaq is, pl- is a place of, of waste. Uh, for the British and for the Zionists, this idea of uh, a wasted space was very much at the heart of uh, development. So. Um, so during the British mandate, the district commissioner of the Galilee District received a letter from T.L. Ward, who was pushing for the drainage of al Batuf, and was discussing with the director of public works, uh, the estimates and cost of dust. The drainage scheme, he explained, if executed would prevent the flooding, which occurs almost annually at the Eastern end of the depression. And as a result, you know, tens of thousands of dunums of good land is, is, is becoming useless in the winter. These plans uh, that they wanted was for drainage uh, of those plants, and what is interesting about you know the British uh, colonial uh, for uh, colonial uh, government officials is that they thought of drainage as you know a, a way to. Uh, to enhance the economic situation of all residents of, uh, of the British mandate, at least, to depoliticize and de-escalate any Palestinian or even Zionist uh, opposition of water projects. So the idea is always to kind of frame it as an economic development uh, project. So for, for the British, drainage was the solution to al Batuf uh, to increase, the, to actually enhance uh, agricultural production. For the, for the, for the Zionists, it was actually uh, the opposite of that. Uh, the, initial, the initial plan was for the Zionists to actually submerge the whole of al Batuf to act as a storage uh, facility or a storage lake for all the waters that they were diverting from the upper Jordan, from the water rich and abundant uh, north to where it's needed for settlement expansion and for making the desert bloom. So the idea was to actually submerge the whole valley, including, uh, villages of Palestinian. And this is happening right after the Nakba, after 1948. This is in the 50s, where this proposal has been made by Israeli water officials. And the idea was that Kufur Manda, one of the villages that still remain until today, uh, was to be completely submerged by water. And what is interesting when we look at a lot of the archives and look at uh, a lot of the um, uh, newspaper archives specifically, is how the framing of al Batuf as a reservoir has been completely. um, uh, adopted by uh, the Israeli uh, discourse. So here it says in Hebrew uh, that there is a lot of riots happening in the in the basin of al- Batu. The Batuf was not a basin, it was basically, as I showed you in the picture, uh, a lot of uh, 50,000 dunums of Palestinian uh, agricultural land. There were villages also in the valley, uh, like Kofor Manda. But the idea is that the imaginary, the Zionist imaginary was that it is a basin, and it is um, a basin to be developed and uh, exploited uh, for the sake of uh, making the desert bloom. So this is one thing where you see divergence in terms of how the British have seen water development um, in Palestine, trying, as, as I said before, to depoliticize it, to make sure that, you know, everybody gets a piece of the cake in order to pacify uh, resistance and in order to pacify any opposition by uh, the, the Zionists and, and their lobby. And um, Yes, um, and so so this is kind of a situation where we see, you know, how water policy has been has had had a legacy uh, had had a legacy. On, uh, on Palestinians uh, in, in the Galilee. Because until today, for example, in the, in the heart of al Batuf, it remains a, um, a valley without access to water. I'm just gonna go back to the picture. So it remains a valley without access to water. The national water carrier at the end of the day did not uh, submerge uh, al Batuf like the, the early Zionist project wanted because of tec- technical uh, technicalities and reasons of, uh, of drainage and hydrology. At the end, Lake Tiberia served as the storage facility or a storage lake for, for all of the water that will go down to the Naqab and to the coastal areas. But the, the Galilee still was a site of uh, uneven, what, what I termed as uneven waterscapes in the Galilee. What we see here in the picture is a, is a, is a concrete canal. Uh, this is the national, the national Water Carrier Canal, where it reaches al Batuf areas. It's an open ditch. It has confiscated thousands of dunums of, uh, of lands from Sakhneen, Arabi, uh, villages, uh, and it has denied them access to that water. So since uh, the 1950s, uh, since the operation and the building of this national water carrier on the lands of the Galilee, until this day, uh, Palestinians are denied access to that water. And that water serves exclusively for Jewish settlement development. Uh, and for, uh, for multiple reasons today that I can speak of maybe in the QA if somebody's interested. But I think this is a, a clear depiction of an uneven waterscape that, that is rooted in a colonial legacy. And that is rooted in a British colonial mandate, uh, legislation, and also uh, uh, favoritism. Uh, of, of Zionist uh, imaginaries of land and water development, while suppressing and, and disregarding Palestinian imaginaries uh, that also cl- that also um, uh, want to claim uh, rights to development, that also want to, to have uh, the promise of infrastructure fulfilled for them and for their agricultural practices. And I can speak about it also uh, more in uh, the Q- QA as well, if somebody's interested. Uh, but this is where like, I wanted to, to end uh, my, uh, my presentation uh, and speak of an enduring coloniality uh, and how, how can we ent- understand such infrastructure, whether water infrastructure or other important natural resource infrastructure as sites of uh, exploitation, as sites of uh, inequality. But also at eth- 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 ethnographically rich sites of investigation to better at- expose uh, the legacy of colonialism uh, in Palestine.